Well, we're in the middle of a series, actually the end of a series, four weeks on the core truths or core commitments that we have as a church, as Grace Baptist Church of Taylors. They're in effect part of our manifesto, part of what drives us. What is it that shapes the way we think, how we pray, what we read, what we do, our corporate gatherings, our worship, our vision for the future. And previously, we considered why we gather, and we, we spoke of the gospel as front and center, that the Christian never graduates beyond the need for and the power of the gospel, just as though the person that's unreached desperately needs the gospel we learn together that you and I, we need the gospel, and though it may seem trite or so common to say that we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day is as true as the first time you heard it. Secondly, we considered when we gathered in the idea of white, hot worship, and we distinguish between that Lives of worship where every day we live our lives in such a way that they bring glory to God. We give our lives as an offering so that our lives will serve like a signpost to say, isn't God great and worthy of being known and loved and served? And then last week, we said how we gather, and it was a call to nurture, that where most of us think of hate as the opposite of love, for most of us, the opposite of love is not hate, but it's a basic indifference, a lack of tenderness, a care, a, a, self, a, a, a selfishness toward one another to just say, I won't get in your way as long as you don't get in mine. You do you. Just stay over there. But the, the Bible we saw is last week calls us, the scriptures call us through 51 New Testament, one another's, to live lives very much integrated in caring for each other. That's why Edmund Clowney says, more than the church simply being a called out community, we are a called together community. But today we come to why we go. It's a call to missions or how the church serves the world through mission. And I'm not claiming, just so you'll know, any special credentials here. Just because Cheryl and I lived in Beijing, China for six years, where I served as the pastor of Beijing Baptist Church, I always said our members were the missionaries, and I was just a pastor to the missionaries. And I still believe that three years later. And you know this quote is Edmund Clowney wrote, he says, the church is called to serve God in three distinct ways. And this is shaping this series. First, the church serves God directly in worship. Secondly, the church is called to serve the saints in nurture. And then third, the church is called to serve the world in witness or in mission. You know, clearly there are other passages that Chris could have read for us tonight about, nation, about missions. But these four passages, 13 verses in all for tonight will suffice. And I want to remind you, this is a topical sermon. It's still expository in character, but it's not part of a consecutive expository series like Pastor Jamie is preaching through Revelation 
or our other series currently in Exodus 20 with the Ten Commandments. And never forget, even as we preach a topical sermon, that the very art and purpose of preaching is not so much as descriptive, but proclamative, it's proclamation in orientation. It's to call us to respond, to come face to face and have a confrontation with God that is, is the one with whom we must live, the one before whom we must live in Coram Deo, before the face of God. Well, I ask you a question. God can do all things, right? You would say, of course. He could even save a people for himself apart from the means with which we are so familiar. You could say, it is possible that God could save apart from the preaching of the gospel or someone hearing a gospel sermon. You might think, yes, God could save that person. We would give him that right. We would pay him that due. So then why do we go? Why do we send anybody? Why do we send? Why do we go? Why do we witness? We do these because God has designed his church to gather as a sending, missional, going, witnessing, and disciple-making organism. This is our charter. This, brothers and sisters, is part of how God has called us to serve the world. It was Eric Wright who began his book on missions, a practical theology of missions, dispelling the mystery, recovering the passion. He writes and begins his book with these words, a passion for God fuels the missionary impulse. If we as the church or as a church, as Grace Baptist Church of Taylors, will ever be passionate about missions, it will be because God by his grace has given us a passion about him and therefore all that God cares about and is determined to accomplish. Otherwise, it's impossible for the Apostle Paul to write in 2 Corinthians 5.11, therefore knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. So what's on God's heart? Missions. And that alone is the basis for missions. It's this simple. What God is interested in, we must also be interested in and moreover be passionate about. What interests God must interest us. So how do we see this in the two commission passages that Chris read for us tonight? I want to outline the great commission for us briefly from Matthew 28, 16 through 20. And I want you to know that I borrow this essential outline and idea from Pastor Al Martin preached about 40 years ago. I don't know the exact date. Somewhere late 70s, early 80s. And this outline has been indelibly etched into my memory all these years. I actually have it in my New American Standard at home, but I don't need, I don't need it to preach it. I've actually, I rewrote it just for this because I'm not relying on my memory at this point in my life. I wrote it down. But I've preached this in China, in India, in Kenya, in Zambia. I think maybe I've referenced it even in Malaysia and, of course, 
here in our own country. If you've heard it before, I promise you will not suffer to hear it once again. So why the Great Commission? And you do well to turn to Matthew 28 now, verses 16 through 20, if you're not there. To the Great Commission, you'll notice it's the last five verses of Matthew's gospel. And actually, we speak of the Great Commission in a sense as those final three verses, 18 through 20. But why the Great Commission? And the Great Commission is given to first a church who serves and enthroned and exalted Christ. It is the Lord Jesus that said to the disciples there at that mountain in Galilee, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He could not say more that is clear about his authority than that. It's utterly clear. It's spoken with utter clarity. It's the introduction, the prologue to his final instructions. And so we as the church here are not self-commissioned, nor is any cross-cultural gospel laborer or worker or couple to be self-commissioned. And in fact, missions is the, the purview of the church, but missions is a priority of the church because of her Lord. We go with Jesus' marching orders. We go under his headship. We go with him as our sovereign Lord. So this, church, this great commission is given first to a church who serves and enthroned and enthroned and exalted Christ. But secondly, the great commission is given to a church that possesses this threefold objective for missions and the evangelism that characterizes it. So I want you to think here of this threefold objective or three goals of biblical evangelism. Number one, and I've modernized Pastor Martin's language here a bit, made it a little bit more colloquial. It's to bring men, women, and children into saving faith with Jesus Christ. To bring men, women, and children into saving faith with Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, of all nations. The imperative, the command, is to make disciples. But there's three participles, words that end in I-N-G, going, baptizing, and teaching that give shape to this one main command that's the very ground of the great commission. And there it is. Make disciples, make learners of all the nations. Of course, in Acts 1-8, we see that geographical progression and expansion from Judea or Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, into the ends of the earth. Our Judea, of course, is Greenville, South Carolina. You might ask, what is a disciple? One a disciple is just one who's responded to the gospel in sorrowful repentance and humble faith to the promises of God in Jesus Christ. That's a disciple. That's the first goal of our evangelism and mission. Secondly, this, of this threefold objective, not only to bring 
every person into saving faith with Jesus Christ, but to bring those who come to faith into vital union with Jesus Christ. That's why we don't just baptize people and send them on their way. We enfold them into the body, vitally into the body of Christ. Jesus says, baptizing them in the name, that is the one name, of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so new disciples, fresh with faith, fresh with repentance, are to be vitally connected to an integrated life of the body of Christ. From baptism onward, so that they become mature. Let me give you three words, mature, worshiping, fruitful, and then I'm throwing in a fourth word for a bonus, reproducing disciples, that is disciple-making disciples. So that decisions, like making a decision, simply praying a prayer, or walking an aisle, is not the goal of missions. And so this is where our theology gives shape to our missiology. It's not only to bring men, women, and children into saving faith, but then to bring them into vital union. They're baptized in that one name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but they're enfolded, this is our goal, into the body of Christ. And there's a third goal for our missions and our evangelism. It's to bring these who come to faith, these who are baptized, these who are enfolded into the body of Christ, into practical conformity to the word of God. So there it is. We wanna bring everyone into faith with the Son of God, into integration with the church of God, into very practical conformity to the word of God. And so we read these words where he says in verse 20, teaching them, those that have been made disciples, those that have been baptized, he said, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Notice the alls here of this, all authority, all nations, all that I have commanded you, verse 20. And then a word related to all, always at the end of verse 20. Do you remember the new commandment we read about last Sunday morning? Does anyone can say that from heart, John 3, 13, 34? That's a portion, that's a little sample size of the obedience that we should seek to grow in new disciples. Here it is. A new commandment I give to you. That you love one another just as I've loved you. You also are to love one another. And there's a third there's a third dimension of this great commission that I want you to see and that's that that as we think about the great commission the great commission is given to a church that is grounded assured and comforted in her work by the ever living and ever present Christ. And he leaves them with these words. His final words here in this connection is this. And behold, look, I am with you always. Those of you, those 11 who will begin militantly, missionally to spread 
my good news, my gospel to the nations, to bring every man, woman, and child from all the nations so that they trust me and the promises of the gospel in me. And as you baptize them and you link them and form local, visible, united, constituted communities of churches, and you teach precept upon precept, line upon line, all that I've commanded you, as you go about this seemingly impossible task, one soul at a time, I ground you, I give you this assurance, I commend your comfort in this knowledge that I am the ever-living and ever-present Christ. And so he says, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. This is the promise annexed, forever attached to Jesus' final instructions. It's like parents, when we parrot that song that Whitney Houston sang, I forget the movie. What's the movie? I will always love you. I'm not saying you need to go look it up. God says, I will always be with you in this work. It's a perennial, unremovable, guaranteed promise to Jesus' final instructions. As he said to Joshua, he says to us as the militant, mission-minded church, I'll be with you. This is the language of the God who makes covenant and keeps it. I will not leave you or forsake you. He's with us for the course of the work. He's commissioned us to. He's not like someone helping you in a job and you're 10 minutes in and they're gone on a water break or you can't find them for 30 minutes. I'm like, hey, I thought we were working at this together. God's not gonna do that. He's there for the long haul. It's his church. It's the beloved bride of his heart. It's the sheep for which the precious blood of the spotless lamb of God was spilt. And since that blood was spilt, he will not split from us. He will not abandon us in the very work he's commissioned us to. And knowing that, we can persevere in the work. As he said to Joshua, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. No doubt it was the resurrection that was on Paul's mind as he penned those words at the end of 1 Corinthians 15. But there's something here. There's something of the ethos of this truth when Paul wrote, therefore, the end of 1 Corinthians 15, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil in the Lord is not in vain. I want to leave us with seven, just like last week, seven applications, seven very specific ways we may serve the world through mission as the body of Christ. Number one, you may remember, or we may remember that we have the one thing necessary for the salvation of the world. It is the pearl of great price. It is the treasure hidden in the field. We have the goods. You know, Arby says, we have the meats. We have the gospel. 
We have the message of the cross and Christ crucified. In a world that's always selling far more than it can deliver, we have that only name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. We possess the ministry of reconciliation. There is no other answer. There is no other message. There is no other salvation. No other gospel. So we focus on the gospel. We say with Paul, woe to us if we preach not the gospel. For a moment, I want you to imagine Paul's earnestness and zeal as he dictated that section of Romans 10. And I want you to imagine this scene, maybe late at night with candles only. And Paul is dictating to an amanuensis that's a scribe that's writing out this letter on parchment that will end up in the hands of the church at Rome. And I want you to imagine Paul just pacing back and forth and he's thinking remember he's already said in Romans 9 I'm not I'm speaking the truth in Christ I'm not lying my conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart for I wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers now one chapter ahead I want you to imagine Paul Weary, but passionate, under candlelight, pacing back and forth. And he says this. How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? Somewhere there's this mixture of passion and zeal and desperateness and urgency. And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Four questions, and I can imagine that in his mind was four answers. Impossible, impossible, impossible. Never going to happen, never going to happen, never going to happen, never going to happen. May God move us to believe that, to be able to feel and to believe That connection between Paul's four consecutive questions and the implicit answer. And so he says, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. How beautiful are those or are the feet of those who preach the good news. So we may remember that we have the one thing necessary for the salvation of the world. There's a second application. We may pray for missions. We may pray for the cause of missions, the work of missions, and for missionaries and missionary teams. I was so gratified this morning to hear that SHINE, which stands for seeing him in nations everywhere, needs a change of venue because we have so many children. It's why we had a missions conference here three months ago. We were gathering for that conference, I think, about three months ago today. And why every month you'll receive this printed prayer guide for missions in connection with our association of churches with the Reformed Baptist Network. You'll notice every week in our bulletin, there's prayer emphases that relate to the advance 
of the gospel of our Lord Jesus. We remember there's one thing necessary. We know that we may pray for missions. And moms and dads, I encourage you with your children, take the bulletin, take the Arbinet prayer guide, and, and begin to infuse in your family worship time, your time of remembering, uh, remembering of the missionaries that we support as a church. And speaking of support, that brings us to our third application. We may give financially for the cause of missions. We may give regularly, generously, increasingly, sacrificially, and joyfully for the spread of the gospel and the advance of God's cause throughout the earth until all his elect are gathered from the four corners of the world. I'm so excited to, to tell you that I believe a week from tonight when we send out our proposed budget for, 2000, for October 1st, 2022 through next, the end of next September, you're gonna see a proposed budget increase for missions from 17% of our budget to 19%. That's part of how we serve the world in mission. It's not exclusive, but it's a big part. There's a fourth thing that we can do, and that is that we may work cooperatively with other churches, with other networks, and with other sending organizations to maximize the greatest number of well-prepared cross-cultural missionaries with real missionary urgency. It's to believe that really, that when you read that 47 people died from Hurricane Ian, that you recognize those are real souls and that some of those probably died and went to hell knowing the fear of the Lord, knowing what we heard this morning as Pastor Jamie preached in the last part of Revelation 19, that God does not play. Yes, God is love, 1 John 4, 8, but he will judge the wicked and their only hope is the gospel that is the very focus and aim of missions. Literally every member of the body in, in this assembly right now, every member, from the youngest to the oldest is a part to play. Kids, I want to say to you, you think, I don't know, what can I do? You can pray. You can give. By the way, you can give. That's not an adults-only offering box. And you can say, Mom and Dad, I want to give this. Can you pass it on to support God's cause in the world? You can help encourage missionaries as they go and as they've been sent. Even next Monday, Bethanna Cordy will arrive from Arizona as David and Jane are expecting their baby. She'll be here three weeks. Let's encourage Bethanna Cordy, celebrating seven years this past month with John to the Tahana Adam and the Gila River Indian nations out in southern Arizona. Every person has a part to play. And maybe one church cannot fully send a missionary, but there's inherent strength in numbers. That's why I'm really excited to tell you that in our budget, we have a line item that will be 10% of the cost 
of a missionary couple that presented here from Southeast Asia to help them buy property for their work in Southeast Asia. And part of our budget is a one, one lump sum amount to buy good old dirt in Southeast Asia. All $2,500 is our part. And so this is going to prioritize interchurch communication for the purpose of cooperation. I can already tell you it's aggressively underway in our association. There's a fifth thing. We'll need to prioritize this progressive geographical expansion of bringing the gospel to those who've never heard the good news. And I want us to think in terms of UPG, unreached people groups. The reality is in some ways, we have quasi-unreached people groups, pockets of people, even within our own area code. Properly speaking, classically defined, when we speak of cross-cultural missions, we speak of crossing a combination of three barriers, cultural, linguistic, and geographical boundaries. But I dare say by that very definition, there are areas and peoples within Greenville County that we would do very well to bring the gospel to. When we take that phrase, all nations, in Matthew 28, and the phrase at the end of Acts 1-8, in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth, these are more simply than geographical terms. Like the expression in Revelation 5, the every tribe and language and people and nation, that is that the Lord Jesus purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Those are people group terms more than they are geographic. So we may say that God is determined to save a countless multitude for himself from all the people groups of the world. Still, and I want to help us think categorically this way, while we send the gospel via gospel labors where Christ is not preached or known, like Paul is speaking of in Romans 15, 18 through 21, we must commit to strengthen gospel workers in the advance of the gospel where it has already taken root. That is why on November 3rd, a month from tomorrow, Pastor Jamie will leave for three weeks and teach the word to pastors and church planners both in Nepal and in southern India. So we send gospel laborers to bring the gospel where Christ is not known, but we also send gospel laborers to strengthen the cause of Christ where he's known, both are legitimate under the missionary umbrella. There's a sixth application. We may cultivate a willingness to send and support our very best to the nations, to very hard, faraway places with strange and different cultures, customs, languages, and foods, even like fried chopsticks and caterpillars and eating I meant to say fried scorpions. <laughs> Never listen to what someone says. Always think about what they meant. 
fried scorpions, fried caterpillars, chopsticks. Brothers and sisters, moms and dads, children. Some of you may be K-5, first, second, third, fourth, fifth grade, all the way up to some of you young adults. We're thinking of you. We want to prepare to send and support the very best. It's going to include some of you, some of your children, some of your grandchildren. We're not going to be able to do missions simply by Zoom or Facebook Messenger. We'll have to give of ourselves by going, by incarnational with them, by physical presence ministry for us as a church. This has included sending Bob and Kathy for an urban inner city work in southwest Atlanta. And it includes sending and supporting John and Bethana Cordy as they bring the good news to the Tahana Adam and the Gila River nations. Praise God, just last month, these two couples reached a milestone of seven years of service in their respective ministries. We saw them at the GA. They're going strong. Their faithfulness is remarkable. Their perseverance is commendable. Make no mistake, the church is called to prepare, to send, to support missionaries as part of a broad commitment to missions. Y'all, it's great. It's great that we can support missionaries being sent by other churches. But I promise you that the prayer of your elders, and I pray that we could cultivate this in the lives of our families, in their prayers for their children, is that some of you, some of those who are under 18, and you think, how me? Why me? We would say, if not you, then who? If not you, then who? Remember that missions, missions is the purview of the church. It was the church at Antioch in Acts 13 that sent Barnabas and Saul in direct obedience to a word from the Holy Spirit after a season of together praying and fasting. There's a final application will be done. We must never forget the purpose of missions. Does anyone know the answer? What's the purpose of missions? Worship. Worship. White hot. God glorifying. Christ exalting, spirit empowered, biblically directed worship on our knees. Don't forget John Piper's unforgettable statement in his book on missions. He says, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and, this count, and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity. But worship abides forever. Friends, worship Worship on this side, on the near side, is the fuel for missions. But much more, worship is the fruit of missions on the far side, you see. 
You'll never care about missions apart from the desire to see God worshiped and enjoyed above all people and all things. And you and I will not have that desire unless we have worshipers too. Do you worship God? Do you have time to worship him in private, in your family, as part of your corporate worship in song, in his word and prayer? If you do, you're on your way to care that his name be made, na- na- made great among the nations. I want to mention is just a brief, very poignant picture. The great missionary John Patton to the New Hebrides. And I'll be quoting from it a bit more in two weeks as we get to the fifth commandment in our Exodus 20, 10 commandment series. But John Patton said he never remembered a day before he left his home where his father did not gather with John, his mother, and all his siblings for family worship. And then his father would get down on his knees with the whole family gathered around him. And he prayed using that archaic phrase for the heathen of the world. Those who were lost and in darkness. And this was impressed on the memory and conscience of John Patton. And so writing back on the day when he left his home in Scotland and his dad walked with him down this long dusty lane for a final goodbye and he held his hand with these words, God be with you, God be with you, my son, your father's God be with you. And it was John Patton who every day without fail For all the days he was in his parents' home could remember dad praying for the nations of the world and that the gospel, the gospel that was so, that had so, was exuding from the Patton home, like the the very fragrant aroma of Christ, it was there for John Patton. It was his memory, his memory of his dad kneeling and his siblings gathered around as dad, as Mr. Patton would pray, not just for all the children in the Patton family, but that the gospel would go to the nations. So why do we go? Why will you go? Why would you pray about going? Because our Savior's called us to serve the world, the world he so loved with a John 3.16 love. The great missionary God who was the great missionary sender. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. God has called us to serve the world by our witness. Will you pray? Think about these applications. Will you give? Would you be willing to provide logistical support? Will you prepare to go, to be sent, to be supported, to serve our Lord Jesus? Some of you kids, what if you knew it would take 10 years to prepare for the day when you would be here and we would be laying hands on you and we would be sending you many thousands of miles away to an unreached people group? Would you begin today if you knew that was 10 years? 
If you're 12, you'll be ready the day you finish college, if you go to college and spend four years doing that. Okay. Will you prepare to go, to be sent, to be supported, to serve our Lord Jesus? Why would you do this? You would do it because you embrace that messianic psalm that Pastor Jamie used this morning as our call to worship from Psalm 2. That our Lord Jesus will receive the nations as his heritage. That he will receive the ends of the earth as his possession in fulfillment of that promise. I'm going to tell you this. As in the days of Nehemiah, there is room on the wall for you if you're ready to work. The need for harvest laborers is urgent. For the harvest is plentiful. You see all these signs around Greenville, now hiring. (laughs) The Lord of the harvest is saying, now sending, get ready to go. How sweet will the world How sweet would the world be served as the Lord of the harvest hears his blood-bought sheep raise their voices with Isaiah. And he hears this, here am I, send me. God help us to be faithful to this call to serve the world through missions.